Hey, uh, good morning. It's been, it's been a fun weekend here so far around FBC. Uh, Friday night, Charles Billingsley was in the house. Incredible concert for those of you who are able to attend and be a part of that. Uh, an incredible vocalist, but really more than that, just a time of worship and so many good reminders on worship as he taught almost just as much as he, he led. And so uh, we hope to have him back sometime if you missed that, but it was good to have him here. Yesterday, we had a leadership breakfast with our deacons and our elders, so that was exciting. Uh, it's such a privilege to serve alongside such gifted men that God has called for this season, uh, leading, leading what God is doing here at FBC. Today, of course, we get to celebrate sing, worship, and uh, have a good time studying God's word together. And then later today, there's this game happening. All right, so just out of curiosity, uh, who's got the San Francisco 49ers today? All right, and who's got the Kansas City Swifties? I mean, I mean Chiefs, I mean Chiefs. Yeah, all, all right. Well, the joke is, hey, is, is Taylor Swift gonna win her first Super Bowl today? And, some people say that you need to have a loss once in a while, so maybe she can just start off with a loss uh, today. I know, who doesn't care? You're just like, hey, food, commercials, right? We'll see what Usher does in the halftime show. Uh, but man, it'll be good. But I'm excited to be in God's word with you this morning. And if you have your Bible today, you're gonna wanna pull that out or pull out your phone. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 18. And while you're doing that, I want to take a moment to catch you up. We're continuing our series this morning titled Build Your Life. And in this series, we're focusing on some foundational principles that we want to build upon so that we're ready when the storms of life hit. And they will hit. I mean, look around right now. There's storm clouds in our culture and our society all around us right now. And we want our foundation to be built on what God says is good and true, and that's why we're developing these habits now. These habits or these choices of, for example, choosing God's love, acknowledging Jesus as Lord of our lives, or most recently, recognizing biblical authority. And I heard someone say once that when crisis hits, you are reduced to your habits. And that's why we need to build our lives on these foundations. And maybe you have some goals for 2024, that's great. I always encourage our team and people to have goals. Maybe it's an annual goal or a few months out. Goals are great, but I'm way more concerned with your habits. What are those daily disciplines? What are those habits that you live by each and every day? Because if you focus in on those, you'll usually far surpass whatever goal you have set. And we're over a month into the new year. Some of us have hoped to make some changes. I don't know how that's going for you, what your New Year's resolutions are looking like in February. Uh, but a lot of us, we want to see something different happen in our lives this year. We're tired of the same old, same old, and we realize that this new season needs a new strategy. And so we need to mature, right, as believers in Jesus and be prepared for the storms that are coming our way. When the world tries to defeat us, the question is, what have we built our house upon? Figurative for, right, what have we built our lives upon? And we can talk about each of the topics in the series and we can nod our heads and go, yeah, 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 I believe that, sure. But beyond just believing something, how is our faith showing up in the way that we're living our lives? 
For example, how is biblical authority showing up in the way that you live your life? How's your life different than if you didn't know Jesus? I mean, absolutely, right? We say, absolutely, if I believe something to be true, I want to live as if it's true. I mean, one of the biggest criticisms of the church today from both inside and outside the church is hypocrisy. And we all agree hypocrisy is a bad thing, right? Except in that one area. There's that one thing. That one thing that we all know is true, that one thing we believe fully, but we just don't do it. Why? Because we don't want to. We don't want to want to. And some of the topics we're covering in this series, they might be easy for you and Maybe you do well with trust or leaning on God's word as a guide for your life, but there's some topics that are gonna hit a little different and today's message might be that for you. We're gonna talk about, ready? Forgiveness. I can't carry the past, I choose to forgive. And as I say the word forgiveness, something might be coming to mind. An incident at work, somebody did something to you, a hurt, Someone you loved and cared about, maybe it's an evil that's been done to you, feelings of revenge, angerness, and just wanting them, whoever the them it is in your story that's popping in your head right now, you want them to pay for what they did. We all have that something that comes to mind. We're gonna learn from Jesus today, his own words and what he has to say about forgiveness. And I want us to walk away with this truth that forgiveness is a choice. We have a choice to make. And it has little to do with the person you need to forgive and everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. And God has a lot to say about forgiveness because he wants what's best for us. He knows that the best version of you is not bitter and angry. He knows that this will lead to a more productive future for us if we can capture this idea of forgiveness because if not forgiving would make your life better, God would have commanded you to not forgive. You might be sitting here this morning looking in your Bible like, how can I just ignore everything he's gonna talk about today? There's gotta be a passage in here about that, but you're not gonna find that. See, when the enemy has a stronghold in your life, it's often walls set up where God's truth cannot get to you. Think about that for a moment. Think about areas of your life where you've found that you have a, there's a stronghold in your life it's often there's a wall set up where God's truth cannot speak into that or cannot get to you. And I could stand up here and talk about forgiveness all day long, but if you have a stronghold of unforgiveness, you're not gonna be open to hearing what God's truth has to say today. If we live in a world today uh, that's all mercy for me and justice for you, and this message of forgiveness can actually be kind of offensive to some. And my prayer, though, is that we can allow the truth of God's word to permeate our hearts this morning because again, forgiveness is a choice. Let's pray as we get started. God, open up our hearts this morning. Do in us what only you can do. Be with me as I share the truth from your word. Um, help us to walk out of here lighter and freer uh, with more forgiveness and taking the steps we need to take that you're calling us to do in our lives. Uh, we love you, we give you this time in your name, amen. Well, Jesus is the most impactful person to have ever lived, and he was a great forgiver. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be moving closer to him. Sometimes people come up and they say, hey, my spiritual life has been kind of stagnant. I don't think it works that way. It's not like you just hit pause and pick up four years later. 
Every day, your decisions you make, actions that you take are moving you either closer to Jesus or further away from him. And we want our lives to look more like his. Why? Because Jesus shows us a better way to live life. And when it comes to forgiveness, I would venture to say that most everyone you like and enjoy being around is likely a great forgiver. If you were to pull out your phone and go through your contact list on here, most of the people you enjoy spending time with are not the bitter, angry, resentful people, all right? Nobody likes being around those people. And so uh, to kind of illustrate this a little bit, I I heard uh, someone put it this way once, that there's basically three levels of forgivers. There's actually four, level zero, which is I don't forgive at all, but you have three basic levels. Level one, I forgive the person who perfectly and completely repents. Level two, I forgive the person who imperfectly and incompletely repents. And then level three, I forgive completely without the other person even participating. So let's walk through uh, what this could look like. So you go to work, you bring your lunch, you arrive at the office commons area, you stick in the refrigerator, you go about your day, you come back to get your lunch, it's lunchtime, you're hungry, you open the fridge up and it's gone. Somebody took your lunch. So you start feeling a little frustrated and angry and you go walking down the hall through the cube farm, right? You're looking over the walls, looking through the doors, trying to find out who took your lunch. Is that, is that my pasta that I smell? Is that my salad that they have there? You start feeling this frustration and then you just go back to your office and a little bit later there's a knock on the door. You look up and it's Pastor Phil. <laughs> and he says, you know what? He says, ah, Matt, I'm so sorry. I did something stupid. It was, it was so selfish of me. I was in the middle of sermon prep. I didn't have time to go to Martin's and get a salad. I saw your salad in there. It looked so good. And I didn't want to interrupt the flow, so I just took your salad and I ate it. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? I'll buy you lunch tomorrow. Well, a level one forgiver would say, you know, absolutely. He said all the right things. It was like this perfect repentant moment, right? It's so absolutely I'll forgive you. So that's level one. Level two would be you get a knock on your door later in the day. You look up and it's Pastor Emerson. Pastor Emerson says, hey, you know, Matt, I, I, saw, your, I, saw, I saw your lunch uh, in, in the fridge today, and I just wanted to let you know I ate it. Uh, it didn't have your name on it. Sorry, man, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> Level two would be like, well, he kind of said he was sorry. All right, uh, I, I forgive you, I forgive you. Level three would be, I'm, I'm walking around down the hall, I'm frustrated, and I finally reach this point in time where I say, this is ridiculous. I'm gonna let it go, I'm gonna move on with my day and figure something else out. And don't we all wish that we were level three forgivers, that we could just let it go and move on because the energy it takes to be bitter and angry could be used on much more productive things. Think about how much lighter and easier your life could be. Because here's the deal. When we choose unforgiveness, we suffer. When we choose forgiveness, we suffer. Regardless, you're going to suffer. But with unforgiveness and bitterness, we suffer alone. 
Choose forgiveness and you allow God to work in your heart in a way that would otherwise not be possible. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. If you wanna pull your Bibles up. Uh, this is one of the most powerful teachings on forgiveness. Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant. And what is a parable? A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus is really good at this, right? So good at connecting the common everyday things to a deeper spiritual meaning. Uh, fishing, sheep, shepherds, we see that all throughout scripture. For us, we have to kind of wrap our brains around that time period to understand, but for them, it was really, really helpful. And oftentimes, when he is telling these parables, it's because someone has asked him a deeper spiritual question, and to explain the answer, he tells an everyday story so that the listener can connect the dots and just have that aha moment when they can realize, oh, so it's also this way with God. And here we are in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, uh, where Peter asks Jesus a question. Let's read together. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So Peter comes up to Jesus and says, if someone sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Seven times? You wonder like if you was hoping Jesus would respond like, wow, seven times, man. That is awesome, way to go. I mean, like you went the extra mile with that. It's kind of like, you know, when our kids, if our kids were to come up to us and say, hey, how many times do I have to forgive my brother before I can lay the smack down? Because when that eighth time rolls around, that eighth time, right? So Jesus says, no, 77 times. In some translations, say 70 times seven or 490 times, basically the number doesn't matter as much as what it represents, just an endless amount of times. And Jesus sets the bar here for Peter on what forgiveness is. If you wanna be like me, you never ever stop forgiving. Peter, in essence, attempted to put limits on it, but Jesus says, no, it doesn't matter who, what's been done, how many times, because we've been forgiven much Jesus drives that home in this story because we have been forgiven much. We never, ever stop forgiving. He then goes on to tell the story, the parable, and he starts off with the kingdom of heaven is like. And you have to understand, that's a profound phrase because what he's presenting here is something so radical because apart from Jesus, what he's about to say doesn't make sense. He's only talking to those who put their faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So apart from those who put their faith in Jesus, he's saying basically what you're about to hear is gonna sound like foolishness, but this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in these parables, there's always something that relates to real life. The master in the story is representing God and the servant who owes his master is you and I, everyday 
average people. And average people like you and I recognize that we owe God a lot, more than we could ever repay. So we go to God and we say, would you please forgive me? Please don't take your justice and and wrath out on me. And what does God do? He forgives us. Well, it's the same way with a servant. He goes to the master and explains what he that he doesn't have 10,000 bags of gold, or as some translations, if you're reading the ESV, it says 10,000 talents, and he begs for mercy. So the question here is, let's just look at this for a moment. What is a talent? What is a talent? And how much is 10,000 talents? Well, a day laborer made about a talent every 20 years. So let's do easy math here. If you make $50,000 a year, over the course of 20 years, that's how much? million dollars, right? So if one talent then is equal to a million dollars, what is 10,000 talents equal to? 10 billion dollars, billion dollars. It's a lot of money. And to give you perspective on that, you could pretty much buy the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs and own the Super Bowl for 10 billion dollars. All right, that's a lot of money. So what did the servant hear in this moment? An unpayable amount. He could never earn that much. And how does a master respond? He says, okay, you're forgiven. And if we wanna see through God's lens, we have to understand that God has forgiven an unforgivable amount of debt. Because when we sin, we incur debt. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're all debtors in different ways, but Jesus paid our debt on the cross. And when we come to him, we have forgiveness in him. And when we realize all that Jesus has done in our lives, we can't help but be amazing forgivers. Why? Because we have been forgiven of so much and forgiven people Forgive. So this guy in our parable, he gets forgiven of 10,000 bags of gold. Let's see what happens next. Takes a twist. All right, uh, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So we see the master was willing to wipe away the debt of 10,000 bags of gold, no problem, and this guy owes you what? 100 silver coins and this is how you treat him? You choke him, you throw him in prison, you say, man, this guy didn't get it at all. Totally missed it. And this goes to show that we can either operate in Christ's economy or the world's economy. 
Christ's economy is you owe and I pay on a cross, right? World's economy, you owe and you pay. There's no forgiveness for you. And if we want to be in one of these two economies consistently, that's fine, no problem, the equation works, right? I don't forgive others and I don't expect forgiveness for myself. Or I receive the forgiveness of Jesus and I forgive others. The problem is when, the problem we see here outlined in this parable is when forgiven people by the blood of Jesus receiving the blessing of Christ's economy then turn around and operate in the world's economy in how they treat others. And we receive the love of God and forgiveness through Jesus, then turn around and not forgive others. And when we do that, we're no different than the guy who just didn't get it. And Jesus, once again, draws our attention to the numbers. 10,000 talents or bags of gold is very different than 100 silver coins or denarii. And if a talent equals 20 years of pay, what does a denarii equal? Well, they could have said back in that time, another day, another denarii. Because a denarii is a Roman coin that equaled around a day's wage as a day laborer. So the difference is exponential. A talent is equal to about 6,000 denarii. So basically the servant who was forgiven 10,000 talents was forgiven millions of times over in comparison to what he was refusing to forgive. And Jesus strikes this wild comparison here using this to show us that it doesn't matter what's been done to you. There is nothing that you should not be willing to forgive or work on forgiving, especially if you've received Jesus and the forgiveness of Christ. Doesn't mean it's all gonna be easy or instantaneous, but that's the path we have to be on if we want to operate in Christ's economy in our lives. And it's not always gonna be easy. It's not always as easy as forgiving somebody who took your lunch. There's consequences to actions. And that may mean boundaries that need to be set up. That may mean jail time. May mean your spouse still divorces you. And forgiveness does not mean acting like nothing ever happened. You're not somehow unforgiving if you can't forgive and forget. We can't do that no matter how hard we try. Do you think Jesus forgives and forgets? I would argue that no, he doesn't, he's sovereign. But he treats us like he does. And that's how we do it. Romans eight, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we have faith in Christ, God does not condemn us of our sins. In that sense, God forgives and forgets. So back to the parable and how it ends. When we choose not to forgive, God actually enacts justice and works against us. We see that Jesus, the master, retracts the forgiveness and puts the servant in jail, giving him over to the jailers to be tortured. And there's this passage Right after the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says this in Matthew 6, he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa, what does that mean? Does that mean that I won't go to heaven if I don't forgive others? No, no. 
You're saved by grace through faith alone, not by deeds, right? And the flip side, you won't be able to stand before God someday and say, hey, because I forgave all these people, I demand that you forgive me. Doesn't work that way. No, these verses are saying that our relationship with God will be damaged if we refuse to forgive those who have offended us. He's referring to the day-to-day cleansing that we receive when we confess our sins to restore fellowship with God because sin separates us from God. Saying it's wrong to truly receive God's forgiveness and not be willing to grant forgiveness to others. That's why we pray and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And that implies that we have forgiven our debtors. And if we don't forgive our debtors, we, we won't be forgiven of our spiritual debt. And when we fully understand this, again, we want to be good at forgiving. We want to be level three and just move on, move on from it. Uh, but sometimes we get caught up in things like anger fantasies. You ever have anger fantasies? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like that CEO, the CEO and the, the jerk at work, right, who's worked his way up. And the CEO just loves that guy, and you know how he's losing integrity behind the scenes, and you just wish, wish that people could see what he's really like and how he treats you in the office. Or maybe uh, commonly, you're, you're driving down the road. I've done this so many times. The guy speeds by you, and you just, oh, man, if I could just get a mile ahead and see the police officer with that person pulled over, getting the ticket that they so rightfully deserve. Or it's that boyfriend or that girlfriend that, man, they're never gonna have somebody as good as me. I hope their next relationship that they dump them and break their heart. And we fantasize about these things. And uh, a funny one uh, for me that came to mind was we had this Dairy Queen down the street from us in Minnesota. And it was the closest one, so we would go to it all the time. And so many times you tell them, like, you need to make your machines colder. Now, at Dairy Queen, you know, they're supposed to do the thing where they tip the ice cream over so it doesn't, they tip that thing so fast because it was melty. Every time you get your ice cream, it's like half melted, all right? And it made me so mad, and I'm like, man, if I can just light them up on Google reviews and see a sign, shut this place down, or get some new management or something, you know, or, or even recently, another, another one that came to my mind was, so, I don't think my neighbor's here. Um... <laughs> So I'm mowing my yard in the summer, okay? And I use a push mower because I want to get my lines just right. How many guys, you're all about your yard lines? All right, ladies, if you're sitting next to one of those men, lean over and say, I'm so lucky. (laughs) All right, right, we want to have good looking yard lines, right? So I take very, uh, uh, yeah, anyways. So I'm out there mowing. It doesn't matter if it's 2 p.m. in the afternoon 3 p.m., 10 in the morning, 8 in the morning, whenever I'm mowing on my neighbor's side of my yard, the sprinklers come on. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. I, I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to go at different times. Is, I'm on his schedule or something. I started to get so frustrated. And I, because, you know, it's spraying over into my yard, getting the grass wet. The grass isn't cut as good. My mower's getting wet. I'm getting wet. And this is not enjoyable. And so every time I see him out there mowing on his riding mower, I just get so angry because he's out there happy just riding his riding mower around. And I'm like, man, I should go inside and turn my sprinklers on next time he gets, he gets close to my yard. 
And uh, then somebody made me aware that maybe there's like this thing, it's apparently a thing that some people have motion detectors on their sprinkler systems so that if there's rodents in the yard or something, it'll get the, make them, I don't know. I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, these might be fun. We can sit around and have fun thinking about these anger fantasies, but they're very unproductive. And not only is it wrong, but it's just not good for us to go around being bitter and angry all the time. And we need to reflect on the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives. And the Greek word used in Matthew 6 is atheomi. And it means to abandon, or as a famous Frozen song once said, let it go, let it go. All right? Sorry, you're going to have that stuck in your head now. <laughs> the song I very much want to forget about. Um, but Jesus uses these illustrations to drive home our need to forgive. How many times should I forgive? 77 times, 490 times, endless times. In the talents, the denarii, such extreme numbers, and he's showing us that we are to always, 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 always forgive. So that's a little bit about the spiritual side of forgiveness. Let's just talk about the physical effects for a moment of unforgiveness. It's just not good for us. Uh, an article came out a while back, quote, bitterness is a nasty solvent that erodes every good thing. The data that negative mental states cause heart problems is just stupendous. The data is just as established as smoking and the size of the effect is the same. So the size of the effect is the same as smoking. Side note, remember when they, remember when restaurants used to have like smoking sections and non-smoking sections? And you would sit on one side and be like, how does the air know to stop at that invisible barrier? And I heard someone say one time, it's like having a peeing section in a public pool. <laughs> Which I laugh about because there probably is many peeing sections in public pools. <laughs> we just don't know where they are. Um, but they're saying the impact on our physical health is virtually the same as smoking. That you might as well be smoking every day if you're a bitter person. And the point is not to comment about smoking. It's the, the idea that we get so crazy about certain aspects of health in our society, we wanna avoid processed foods, don't smoke, don't drink, have all these healthy habits, but hey, it's okay to be over here hating somebody. Like, we're cool with that. But no, we see that uh, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness, they have a profound impact on both our physical and our spiritual health. And preparing for this message, I came across this Nelson Mandela Quote, he says, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Are you still in prison? Jesus has so much to say about forgiveness. He was betrayed with a kiss. We don't see him respond with anger or bitterness. He tells Judas to do what he needs to do. Peter denies Jesus three times. We don't see Jesus getting all angry over it. And one of the criminals next to Jesus on the cross admits that he is suffering justly and asks Jesus to remember him. He didn't say the words, forgive me. 
But Jesus understands his heart and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And while he's up on the cross, Jesus says to the people crucifying him, those who've beaten him, spit on him, nailed him, taunted him, he sees them and what's he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They're not asking for forgiveness or saying sorry. Can we forgive people that don't ask for our forgiveness? Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. They're still our enemies. And what do enemies do? They do evil towards us. They haven't asked for forgiveness. They're content with making life miserable. And what's our response? We're supposed to bless them. And blessing assumes that our part of inward forgiveness or releasing it to God has happened because we can't bless can't bless someone and hold on to a grudge of unforgiveness. So blessing is a way of releasing and extending forgiveness should it be asked for. Us releasing it and extending forgiveness as Christ would have us to do, should it be asked for. I love how John Piper says it. It is true that the full effect of forgiveness can only happen if the other person believes they need it and want it. That's why it's so frustrating when you want to forgive somebody and they don't think they need any forgiveness. But we do not wait for that, right? We don't wait for them to do their half before we do our half. We must be rid of bitterness and grudges right away. We do what Jesus did on the cross. First Peter 2, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. In fact, we see that he forgave them. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And we have to give it over to God and trust him. Trust God who judges justly. Because God has already done an incredible work in our hearts and our lives and we're not responsible for the work of repentance in theirs. We want our lives to look more like Jesus, right? So we need to strive to forgive like Jesus forgives because when we see the miracle that God has done in our lives, we've witnessed it as we sang about this morning, right? Witness the miracle that God has done in our lives. We can't help but operate in Christ's economy of forgiveness. Luke 6, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I ran across these nine steps for forgiveness. I thought they'd be super helpful for us to walk through. You can get your pens out. You want to write these down. Anytime you find yourself struggling with this, uh, remember, step one, remember the forgiveness I've been given. Step two, Choose to let it go. Step three, pray for the offender. Step four, remember the forgiveness I've been given. Step five, choose to let it go. Step six, pray for the offender. Step seven, or remember the forgiveness I've been given. 
Step eight, choose to let it go. And step nine, pray for the offender. And if you're still struggling, go back to step one and just start all over again. And for some of us, right, we're gonna get a handle on this. It's gonna be life-giving. We're gonna remember the ways that God has blessed us and receive, uh, receive that and release whatever it is that we're holding on to. You're gonna walk out of here this morning feeling a little more free, feeling a little lighter, greater sense of peace, because forgiveness is how we operate as children of God in the family of God. And for some of us, it's gonna be more challenging, but we can commit today, right, to working the process, because forgiveness is a choice, has little to do with the person you need to forgive, and has everything to do with your understanding of what Jesus has done for you. And that's what we take time to remember in communion. We're gonna celebrate communion together. If you're watching at home, you can take this time now to grab some things uh, from your house to participate with us. But we take time to remember to celebrate the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. And as the band's gonna lead us in a song here, I asked them if they'd go way back, like 20 plus years, and do an old song that I think highlights this so well. That we've been forgiven because he's been forsaken, what he did on the cross for each of us. As we take this moment now to reflect and get our hearts right, maybe there's something you're holding on to. You need to let it go. You need to ask, ask for forgiveness. Release it. Maybe there's somebody in this room that you need to walk across the room and ask for forgiveness about something. Maybe you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness. He's extended it to you over and over again, but you've never asked him for forgiveness in your life. You can do that. You say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I believe in what you did on the cross. I received your free gift of salvation. I'm choosing to follow after you with my life. You can make that decision today, but let's take this time now as the band leads us to get our hearts right before God. I'll be right back.
Forgiven people forgive. Jesus, he took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup, he said, this cup, represents a new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's stand, continue to sing and worship, celebrate the amazing love God has shown us. God's doing in your heart this morning. We'll have people down front that can pray with you following the service today. And you know, we've been giving you homework over the last couple weeks. You guys been doing okay with that? Well, today your homework is make the call. Write the letter. Have the conversation you need to have. pray for you and then I want to remind you that today we have the uh, benevolent offering in the back on your way out if you'd like to take part in that but let me pray for you. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Help us to walk out of here today challenged, encouraged, maybe lighter, more freer with what you would have for us. We give you this week. We're choosing to follow after you. We love you in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Enjoy your week.